It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And welcome to Car Cone Carney. I'm James Van Ostel, and the show tonight is sponsored by C&H Financial Services. Business owners are continuing to figure out their way through the coronavirus, and C&H Financial Services is here to help. They offer a variety of products, ranging from traditional merchant accounts to a zero-cost payment processing solution, which eliminates the expense associated with accepting Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express as a form of customer payment. C&H Financial Services eTab solutions, easy to set up for your business for online ordering and curbside pickup. C&H also offers cost-effective commercial lending programs, which can help get your business the money it needs to make it through these unprecedented times. To learn more, contact C&H Financial Services at 855-600-2437 or go to chfs.us. Joining me from across America today, it is Johnny Bergen. It is Stephanie Tice, the people behind No Border Blues. Uh, good evening. Welcome. Hi. Good Hello. evening. Great so to see you. Great to see you. And, and Johnny, when did you stop being rocking, Johnny? Do you, you no longer rock? I still rock. There's no doubt about that. It, I guess, uh, you know, I, I hit 40 and that's when I got a semi hollow body, like the BB King style guitar in that, that shape guitar. Uh-huh. You know, that, that was kind of a certain mark of maturity and then um, dropping the rock and it was at 50. So I get that. So we're talking about the blues tonight. We're talking about no border blues. And before we begin, Johnny, over your right shoulder, what kind of what kind of guitar are we looking at there? Because that looks really cool. This is a 12 string. Uh-huh. He just got it. Yeah. His he new just, toy? I'm really happy toy. with this. This is a Japanese 12 string. Um, it's got a funky sound, and I'm I'm excited about it. Um, you know, there's a big history with Delmark with Big Joe Williams, who had a nine-string guitar, and he had this really distinctive uh sound. So I'm going to take three of the strings off and go after it. Are you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why so, not? So, okay. You mentioned Japanese guitar. Let's start there. No Border Blues. To understand this show, I guess let's start with the No Border Blues album. I I think people would be su- surprised is the wrong word. They'd be curious to learn that there are blues scenes outside of Chicago, Memphis, New Orleans, Austin, but they're all over the world. And this is what you're bringing to the people. Yes. So No Border Blues, which I produced in Osaka with 11 musicians and Johnny, um, sort of came out of a tour we did in 2018. I, I lived in Japan for a couple years um, back in the 80s, and Johnny will tell his story about all the um, different musicians and how he met them. But I went on this tour in 2018, and I was just going to all these small little clubs in Osaka in the basement where there was, you know, signatures of Eddie Taylor or, you know, people who had come through from Chicago. And one of them was called Chicago Rock. Um, and I was just, I call them, there's mesmerized clusters of truly loyal blues fans who enjoy it, understand it, and also play it. So after his tour, we were there about a month. I just turned to him and I said, let's come back and uh, record these guys and make an album um, about blues in Japan. And that's kind of the kernel 
of the beginning of No Border Blues. So we went back in May of 2019. I had a guy on the other side that got all the musicians that Johnny had requested together. And we spent the day in the studio. Um, we sent some samples of the music ahead of time, but what we really wanted to do was get them to write some original stuff and to sing. And, and uh, I'll let you tell some of the story after that. Oh, you got them to sing in Japanese. Like one of our uh, big things is as we've been traveling um, all over is, and working with different international blues artists is, is sort of encouraging people to sing in their own language and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, so we have one song in there. I don't know if you've listened to the album or not, it's called Matasukinanda, and it's totally in Japanese. And that was really kind of thinking out of the box and a little risky to go to Delmark with this material. Sure. But, um, you know, at Delmark, there's a new CEO, Julia Miller, um, who I really admire. And she's also a jazz and, and also a musician. And when we got all the music together, I took it to her and laid it let her listen to it and she called me in and we talked about it and uh she said let's do it and I said you know it's really risky because it's outside of the borders of Chicago but within the borders of Chicago so it's it's really about the blues at its core going around the world people taking their little cultural things and putting twists to it but also feeling very strong in their delivery of the music. And I think if you really believe in the music and deliver the music well, um, it's really interesting to listen to. So I was really actually quite surprised at the response we got. It was so positive and there was- Oh, sure. It, it sounds super cool. It, it, yeah. it sounds super cool. I, I think what always interests me, I, I live in the Chicago area. I have my entire life. The blues is something, it's your civic responsibility to listen to the blues, to grow up with the blues, I think. Uh, but there is that mystique for people in other countries. There is that mystique. The blues is such a pure American type of music that it's, it's exotic to people from other countries. I mean, I think famously of the Rolling Stones, when they first came to America, they wanted to make a pilgrimage to chess records because that's where the blues are from. And I think whether you're in Japan or India, there is something really enthralling about th this very pure, honest, raw form of music, which you are an ambassador of at this point. It's a great, it's a great thing. I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, I've had a long history with the blues and, and that I'm able to go around and, and play with these people. But honestly, wait, wait, Johnny, here's the thing. You just said you have a long history with the blues and I know that to be true. You look like you're 20 years old tonight. Uh -huh. I, don't know what, I don't know what you've done. I know you've been doing this for a long my time. Hair very well. <laughs> we drink a lot of ginger on the road. Is that what it is? Well, okay. Firstly, well, I, I was playing while I was in college. I went to the university of Chicago and I was already playing like it on the North side when, when I was in college and on the West side. And of course. Um, so I really, before you know it, it's been 30 years. So right there you go. West side, you're the West side guitar man. Sorry, I interrupted you. Tell me uh, it's no problem. I was just saying there's speaking about people who responded so much to the blues and it was so, it, it was so exotic and alluring to them. There's been Japanese blues players since the seventies and uh, Delmark, the label had a lot to do with it because they made some live recordings and arranged some concerts during that time. So we've got like, four generations of Japanese blues players and our anthology is no, it's not complete. Um, you know, we might just do 
might have to do a volume two in Japan. Yeah. But uh, it was really neat that uh, there's people who are older than me who like saw Otis Rush in the 70s. Who own clubs and, now. Yes, who own clubs. And they've mentored people who are my age and they've mentored people who are in their 30s, right. for example. And it's just so interesting. It's a, and that's what intrigues me um, because I'm not a musician. I'm, I am learning to play a little bass. I might play one song. I'm going to put it to work. I'm going to work. Fantastic. <laughs> but um, I was a DJ at KKCR in Kauai and I had a blues show. And, you know, that's sort of where Basking in the Blues was born. And I had all these blues and I knew really not very much about it. And I started I had a two hour show. So I did traditional blues the first hour. And then the second hour, I had a stack of international kind of blues artists, people from Brazil and Sweden and England. And that's how I started getting interested in it because um, there was a friend of that I kind of met, a harmonica player in Sweden. He sent me two albums, one in Swedish and I speak Norwegian, so I understood it. And one in uh, English, it was the same songs. And I listened to both of them and I was like, I really like the Swedish one better because it had authenticity in the tonality. Mm -hmm. And I so that. I played it for my fans, you know, this one song and hands down, they all like the Swedish version. And I thought, hmm, maybe I'm on to something here. Yeah. And that's kind of where it was born was the idea that, yeah, there's blues everywhere. They're doing it well. And when they do it in their language, there's a certain sincerity there to sure. pick up on. And can I say something about that real quick is there's one thing that that most of these international blues artists, no matter how good they get, they've rarely gotten any recognition from the United States. That's it's not impossible, but it's very, very rare. Well, and this is one of the many reasons why I wanted to talk to you. This for a lot of people, this is this is all new information. Yes, exactly. And these these Japanese artists were ecstatic that that people are actually recognizing them for their um, dedication to the blues and, and, and that it was on Delmar and that it was on Delmar. Yeah. That, that a, label means a lot to them. Like yeah. all their favorite records are on Delmar. Right. Right. So it was, it was a, an extraordinary experience really to go over there. They were all so organized and it was such a team effort. And boy, at the end of the day, uh, is when uh, Sweet Home Osaka is the last song on the album. And that we were just like nine hours into it and everybody was whipped and, and we had this one more song and they were like, oh, can we do it? And I was like, hell yeah, you guys get in there. <laughs> I want Sweet Home Osaka. And they put their the last bit of blood and energy they had in, in that song. So yeah, that was time for some ramen. Yeah, ramen and, <laughs> and whiskey and sake. <laughs> I I have no issue with ramen other than it's not a very good food to eat socially. There's no dignified way. There's no yeah. dignified way to eat ramen in front but of you're others. You're not supposed to be dignified when you eat ramen. It's okay to it's slurp okay it. To slurp. It's, is, is that a sign of respect? Norm. Yes. It's a, the louder you slurp, um, it's a sign of liking it and it cools it off at the same time. I belong in but Japan. It's, it's a respect thing. It's functional etiquette. Yeah. I, I belong overseas. So... The, the No Border Blues album has morphed into a video show, a video series. Yes, and it's our new podcast. It's our new podcast. <laughs> it, it's a video series. It's a podcast. You just launched a new episode today. This, as interesting as it is to delve into the Japanese blues scene, um, you have a guest on the most recently released episode, 
um, that mixes Bollywood with the blues. Yes. Aki Kumar. Which on paper sounds bananas. Yes. <laughs> it actually sounds bananas sometimes. Too. <laughs> no, it's great. I it's love it. Great. It's, it's mind great. expanding and yeah. it's really fun. And, you know, Aki and I have played together for a long time, straight blues. And I actually played in some of his Bollywood, a couple songs on his Bollywood recordings. And he's a great artist. He has a lot to say. And it's, it's just great world music. And I just think we should make the tent bigger, you know, exactly. Allow these other voices and check them out. Mm-hmm. This is a, a weird and it's a tough time. It's a, it's an awful time. Who am I kidding? We're in a pandemic. Um, part of what makes the blues so attractive is being able to see it live, to feel it, to be in those small clubs, sweat it out with a cold beer in your hand as, you know, performer leaves it all on the stage. This has to be tough for all the blues communities you're talking about. Cause you're talking about going to Japan and seeing these artists. How, how are you holding up? You want to go first? <laughs> well, I mean, we're holding up. Um, we, we've been able to work on a lot of other things because everybody has more time. Yeah. Certainly you work on relationships differently. Um, yeah. You have a more dedication to, I know a lot of musicians are just writing and staying sane that way. Um, I think it's really interesting that people are staying safe and doing outside concerts and being very, very creative and still delivering music. This is not going to go on forever. It's not like we're in a situation that this is going to be, you know, 10 years or five years, maybe another year of this um, adjustment. And there's going to be a shakeout. I mean, no doubt um, for, especially for the venues, uh, that survived this, right? So that's um, the worst part. Yeah. Yeah. Be flexible. I invested all my time in it, but I didn't invest my like a life savings into it because right. But yeah, uh, thank you. I mean, your point is, you know, I feel bad for this like the small business people who they open up a club, they they you know that's like their last dime, and now like they can't serve anyone. You know. Sure. I mean, you spent plenty of time in Chicago. I think of Rosa's on Armitage that's been there forever and they're just you know yeah. fingers crossed right now all yeah and for me it's it's um you know i'm a producer and i want to do another album so hooking up with people and doing zooms and listening to different music and the possibilities of doing a no border blues in europe another no border blues in australia and all of those possibilities those take relationships and building relationships and this is people are getting better and better at this kind of communication for real and also listening to people's music, having them send it to you. I mean, I've listened to more music and probably met a lot more musicians this way in a personal level than I would if I was traveling around sometimes. I know that's hard to imagine, but no, it makes perfect sense. And you're in a club, they play and then they're gone or, you know, it's really hard to have a conversation. What's interesting now, I, I don't know that I'm capable of communicating outside of Zoom. I'm on several of these calls a day. And when I have to communicate outside of this, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm toast. I can't do it. I, I don't know. I, I worry about when I'm back functioning in society that I'm just going to be incredibly awkward. Well, everybody will be. Yeah. Okay. That's kind yeah. of going to be an interesting time. And, you know, my daughters are young. And I said, you know, remember this year, you know, I remember talking to my mom about, you know, World War II times or my ex-husband's mother who was in Norway, whose father was marched off by the Nazis into a camp or whatever and, and rations and how that was for years, you know, three or four years. So 
I mean, it is hard times, but we'll reflect on it, I think, differently when it's over. So as we're talking about exposing other cultures, blue scenes to the world, let's let's bring it back to the U.S. for a second. Yeah, I, I mentioned you know, jokingly that the blues is a civic responsibility of Chicagoans to, to enjoy and, and participate in. But it does seem like the blues have a tough road ahead because there isn't a whole lot of mainstream acceptance of the blues. It, 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 in Chicago, I think it gets paid a lot of lip service in a perfect world. When you landed O'Hare, you'd be hearing Willie Dixon, but it's not. What can we do to grow the blues domestically, I guess, is the question. That's a good question. It's, it's always been a, it's been a real niche and a subculture for a long time. And I'm just encouraged that I see a new crop of players every 10 years that are really good, including some people in their 20s and stuff. And they're the ones who are getting their peers into it. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to encourage and mentor younger musicians as, as much as I can for that. But um, it's never going to be the most popular music. It's always going to be kind of a cool niche subculture and you get it or you don't. And some people just don't get it. And I don't know what, you know, I, I know what you mean about Chicago being a steward of steward of the blues and so is memphis for example and you know they need to really really keep that maintain the blues foundation and uh can't stop the blues look at how many musicians they had on can't stop the blues and lots of people are which is a live stream platform like live stream platform and and there's a actually a young man that i just um heard about and talked to very briefly his name is connor can't think of his last name, but he's doing a, a Chicago blues documentary film that will be out next year. And he's interviewing 45 musicians and artists from old school Chicago. Some of the old players who are still alive, we've lost a lot, but there's still a lot of players there in Chicago. that are hanging in there. Tail dragger. Um, mm-hmm. Will. Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Johnson, all those guys. And he's making a film on that. So there are people still interested. And I, I don't think it ever is like the blues is going to die kind of thing. And our strategy is, is like the no border blues podcast and just want to make it bigger and include some other voices that have kind of been left out in the cold a little bit and, you know, grow it that way. And I think that is how you grow it. You have the right idea. You're doing things on video. It's digital. I mean, we, we have the easiest access to the universe right now with the internet. And I think that's how we move things forward. It's just finding new and inventive ways to present this stuff online yeah. and, and share it and get, get people talking about it. Yeah. And I was like very lucky, like in my, you know, for someone at my age, like you had to know somebody, you know, I met someone who was already playing on the West side and he's like, well, why don't you come out? You know, I mean, it really had to be like a person-to-person thing. It wasn't like this, yeah. you know, di- digital smorgasbord, like you're saying. <laughs> so, so, Johnny, what what hooked you in? What 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 was the the song or the artist that hooked you into the blues? Well, you know, I was. Were you, were you already, in a musical family? Yeah, my dad taught me how to play, and I, I was already playing guitar, and I I took guitar lessons. I graduated from high school in Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, I grew up mostly in Mississippi, but I had a, there was a big blues boom in the late eighties, like a big boom. And I kind of caught the tail five minutes of it, you know, but there were, there was even in places as small as Greenville, there was a 
a blues club that had blues every every night, you know, and which that can't be supported now. I mean, even, right. even the last 10, 20 years, it couldn't be supported. So I had a guitar teacher who, who was really into the blues and he, he taught me a lot. And so I already knew who people like Jimmy Reeb were, Eddie Taylor, Landon Hopkins, Magic Sam. But then when I came to Chicago and I saw it like in a black blues club with a black band on the West side, when it was really kind of a part of a, a living black culture, that's when it ceased to become like something that you read about on the back of an LP. And when you're like seeing it and, you know, feeling it. yeah, feeling Proving it through your it. bones, you know, kind of thing. And that's, that was really eye-opening. And, you know, that's something I, I really miss. There's not as many like black blues clubs for black people that, that there used to be, because it's just a demographic, the demographics have changed, you know, but now on the upside, it's, it's art for, you know, if you come at it the right way and you really learn it and appreciate it, it, it is art for all people because the genie is out of the bottle. Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he, he, you know, I have to just interject this a little bit because it's his birthday today. Oh man. Uh, uh, happy birthday. Not his, but tail dragger. Oh. He played with tail. Oh, happy dragger. birthday when it happens. Today, tail dragger is 80 years old. Happy birthday. Tail dragger. <laughs> Great so, blues singer. Yeah. He's the guy I started with. He's the guy that I saw all those years ago. And like we've toured in Spain and, and stuff. And, We've had a, a long, a long personal and professional relationship to this day. Yeah, eighty years—that's awesome. Yeah, he's eighty-year-old. Uh, you're talking about clubs in the black community for blues. One of my fan—you know—have you ever been asked this at a cocktail party? If you could go back in time and see any concert in the past, what would it be? My my answer is always Checkerboard Lounge, Muddy Waters, the night the Stones came on stage with them. No, that's yeah. like my that's a good movie. There, that's a good movie. Just, you know, just Rick, Rick Crayer, who, who was in Muddy's band at the time, he played with me for years. Yeah. And he was kind of like an older brother to me in the blues scene. If you could go back, where, where would you go? What show would you see? I like to see Earl Hooker. He's like my favorite guitar player. He play, he, there are some live recordings of him at Peppers on the South Side. I, I think I'd like to see that. I'd like to Stephanie? see Holland Wolf. Yeah. 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 All right. So where can people watch No Border Blues? Right now it's, it's on YouTube and um, like for, I'll, I'll drop you a line that there's going to have an RSS proper podcast platform, but it's on YouTube and the new, new one dropped today and on my channel or on the Chicago Blues Network channel. The Chicago Blues Network is something that I've been doing during the, uh, during, pandemic. during the pandemic. It's really, it used to be just a week long camp. Where, where I taught the whole week and lots of great people from Chicago taught like Joanna Connor, Jimmy Burns, Eddie Taylor Jr. who passed, Billy Flynn. Mm-hmm. Um, and people came from all over the world and we did these really fun intimate classes. And now the, the um, owner, Scott Wheel, has really stepped up and took it online and expanded and expanded it and gotten involved with our podcast, for example. And um, so you can find it on the, on the Chicago Blues Network YouTube channel. Yeah. Sorry, that was a very long answer to a short question. And then well, we, Suna will have its little podcast area, the RSS thing. That's happening soon, too. And we plan to do two a month. And our next one coming up is from Italy, from so cool. Milan, um, with the um, 
the Jesus on a tortilla, which is has to be one of my favorite names for a band, Jesus on a tortilla. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So not only are you exposing yourself and selves and others to this music around the world, you're guaranteeing that when you can tour again, you have people to eat dinner with in every country across the globe. That's the important part. Right. <laughs> there is there is a I get it. Incentive. It always comes back to food. <laughs> always. I'm from Chicago, dude. It always comes back to food. We are foodies for sure. And when I was first going to Chicago with them, I used to tease him that I put ketchup on a hot dog. And he was just <gasps> like, really you, yes, he was like, this is grounds for breaking up with you as, you know. Okay, I, here's the I, thing. I don't I, I don't put ketchup on a hot dog. I, I just don't. Ever, but, no. It's but not I'm not. Allowed. But I'm not militant about it. There are people who, and I, Johnny, you, you might have started to go there. There are people who are just outraged like that you've never heard anything more egregious than that you know if that's the condiment you're into that's fine i wouldn't do it but i'm not going to condiment i'm not going to ketchup shame you yeah i think i think if you're driving into chicago on one of the road signs it says chicago land of the blah 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 blah, and no ketchup on hot dogs or something like that i was like no texting no drinking i mean that's no ketchup ketchup on hot hot dogs Yeah, the, the person in charge of all the uh, state highway signs for a while, I think it was just drunk. It was, it was on like a three-month bender because those signs kept getting funnier and funnier to the point where you wondered how that person got away with publishing that stuff. That was like one of those. He was promoted to his level of incompetency. <laughs> That's right. The person is now running the Illinois Transportation Bureau. Uh, all right, so we can find you on YouTube. Uh, musically, it, it's out there. The, the album, No Border Blues, it, it's fascinating. It's cool. It's It's fun. Yeah, you can get that on Delmark. And next year, we'll be putting on an LP of No Border Blues, which um, I'm working with uh, Delmark right now on that because I want to make it like like a physical 33 and a third. Yeah. So I want to make it white with red in the middle, you know, like the flag, like the Japanese flag. So we're we're negotiating that. Speaking of LPs, I I have my previous uh, effort. came out on LP finally. So it's yeah. nice to finally have an LP out. Just Johnny Bergen it, live. It feels great, Charlie right? Light on it. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. It's got Charlie Nelson light on it. It's nice. Uh-huh. But just that, that substantive, I'm holding this, like, this is my, this is my work. Here you are. It just, it feels more accomplished somehow. You know, people, people want it, even if they don't have a record player, which is the exact opposite of as a CD people want, don't want the CDs, even if they have a CD player. Right. <laughs> so true. <laughs> And when we were when we were traveling across the country, which we did a lot of traveling before D Day or or whatever it was, back um, in the old days of January, back in the old February. days, yeah. the P days, um, we stopped at record stores all across the country, and I thought that would make a great video log or a journey log um, because we just you know hit record stores in whatever town we were in and and meet these people that have. You know, all of a sudden their industry has been revived and there's, you know, hope for LPs or something. And it was, oh, I just walked right in and sell to them. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Time. It's, it was fun. I, I've talked about this before. It, I used to have thousands and thousands of records. And then in the 90s, I started amassing thousands and thousands of CDs. And I got to the point, once you move with vinyl a few times, you get to the point where you're like, well, maybe I don't want to do that again. That's how you lose friends is ask them to help you move vinyl up a couple flights of stairs. (laughs) So I donated all my records. Yeah. Like 1999, 2000. I just, I was, people weren't making records anymore. I mean, it, it was a dead industry. There was nothing new coming out. I had all these CDs and I was running out of apartment space. So I donated it for charity for this, uh, 
charity that made money reselling records. And fast forward a couple of years later, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I had all my records back. And now, as you can see, I'm slowly rebuilding. Right. And I, I'm trying not to, to browbeat myself about having given all my records away back in the day, but there is something special about when you put a record on, as opposed to digital streaming, where you could just advance track by track by track, just immersing yourself in that artist's music. You're locked in for 20 minutes. The good songs, the bad songs, you're in it. Yeah. Until so, because no one's no one's moving the needle across songs. Experience. It definitely is a different listening experience. So it, you really get a sense of that artist's work because when I listen digitally, I'm I'm cherry picking. I'm just it, it's like this OCD thing when I listen to an album online because I can advance the tracks. I do. And you find yourself sitting and reading about the artist. You know, you're holding the album and you're listening to it. And in Japan, they have a lot of collector's albums. So when um, when you send it over to Japan, they create this MAGA sheet on the, I don't think it's called MAGA. I don't want to say MAGA, but it's a little sheet on the left-hand side. It's like a spine. It, it's like a spine and it has more information that about each artist or maybe song translations it's it's just goes in depth a little bit more and that makes it a collector's item so we just were went around here in we're in new orleans when we went to the record day yeah we, oh, we hit all the records all the record stores yeah, for record fun. day and there was so many new releases and and it still put a smile on my face just to see the record covers they're also wow it's just like art you know well, and the, the difference when you buy newly pressed vinyl, as opposed to when we bought records as kids, they're heavy, like the 180 gram vinyl. I mean, it feels like you've got something that will live for decades. Whereas before, I, I think of some of those records I bought in the eighties. I mean, they, they, they shimmer when you, when you wave them in the air, they just kind of warp it when you hold them upright. Yeah. All right. So no border blues, um, go watch the show on YouTube. Go listen Thank to you. the music. Johnny Bergen, Stephanie Tice, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having us and thank you, stay James. safe and keep doing what you're doing. It's making a great contribution to have these uh, intimate conversations about music and life and all those other things that you um, are picking up on. Thank you.